This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Which changes in consumer behavior are here to stay beyond the pandemic? Mark Reed, CEO of advertising giant WPP, will explain. Please note, this episode of The Exchange was recorded before Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. The end of the pandemic is finally in sight. The World Health Organization reckons we're halfway through, which might not sound overly optimistic, but it does suggest some more visibility about what the world would look like and which changes are here to stay. Mark Reed is Chief Executive of Global Advertising, Public Relations and Communications firm WPP and joins us now. Welcome to The Exchange, Mark. Great to be with you and thanks for thanks for having me on. I just wanted to start by asking you about your business uh, and if you could talk me through the timeline of how it took on and dealt with the pandemic. Because I remember, you know, in in the very early days, it felt like companies were sort of just halting spending. Yeah, I I think if I if I think back to the dark days of uh, March 2020, you know, none of us really knew what would happen. And, you know, when we sort of looked at sort of, you know, the, the worst case outcome, we thought, you know, our revenues could be down you know, 30 or even 40 percent. I think the reality was that, you know, the second quarter of the year was tough, but we ended up the year down just 8 percent. And I think it talks to you know the support that governments gave. It talks to the ingenuity and innovation of business, doesn't it? You know, the way that people you know, you know, change to, to serve customers, you know, Everything from exercise classes, moving online to restaurants, serving groceries. But, you know, I, th- I think it also talks to technology in the way that we're able to connect, you know, using the technology. I mean, imagine, you know, we've done, we've been through the situation, you know, five, even five years ago, it would have been very different. And, you know, we sent 100,000 people from WPP to work from home on a Friday to start on a Monday in March 13th, a little date indelibly linked in my mind. And we really didn't know what would happen. But, you know, people are resilient and, and you know, got, got on with the job, really. And, you know, we ended the year, you know, in a better place than we expected financially. But most importantly, with our you know, client satisfaction scores at record high, I think all down to people's sort of ingenuity and innovation, I guess. But I guess... I assume not everybody was sort of able to pivot super successfully. I'm not expecting you to name any clients, but yeah. what kind of things were clients doing well and what kind of things were maybe they could have done better? Well, look, I think, you know, technology companies, packaged goods companies, uh, healthcare companies, you know, they were they were all very resilient. You know, you, you had to feel for travel, tourism, 
luxury goods, you know, airlines, you know, those businesses that made it made it much harder to pivot. We did a campaign for Thai Airways in Thailand, allowing people to collect their air miles by staying at home rather than flying, sort of a way of sort of building, you know, continuing consumer engagement while everyone was sort of locked up at home. So there's lots of ways you can engage people. But I think it was that those companies that had invested in digital technology that had built direct consumer channels were, were the ones that benefited. And, you know, it's no surprise that the sort of more far-sighted companies were, were the ones most ready because pandemic really did accelerate, you know, as others have said, the trends that were taking place already in society, you know, the shift to digital, the increasing importance of purpose, you know, growing scrutiny of companies and their actions, all, all of those trends were things I think that the pandemic brought to the fore, but they weren't totally new to this world trends, if you like. And how did, because obviously WPP is a conglomerate of different kinds of businesses and services, how did the makeup and the contribution of different services change for you? Were you offering different like services? As a, as a, we now like to as a company rather than a group. You know, we have we have brands, great brands like AKQA or Ogilvy or Mindshare, but we, we're try, we're, we, you know, we work together when, when we need to as one company. You know, our business became... You know, more digital, it became, you know, our e-commerce business grew. Interestingly, you know, public relations, which was a part of our business that historically in a downturn has always been most affected, was actually the fastest growing part of our business, it actually grew in 2020. And I think it demonstrates the importance that, you know, chief executive officers and chief communications and chief marketing officers all placed on communicating with stakeholders, you know, with their people, with their customers, and with governments, what they were doing, and so I, I think one one of the things that kind of really brought communications to the fore, and that may be why you know our business has recovered more quickly than people expected. And and which sort of um, you mentioned the switch to digital, so these yeah. are the kinds of trends that are uh, here to stay. What's your advice to your clients in terms of getting ahead of the next ones? Well, I think that. Um, what we've been through is really the greatest shift in consumer behaviour since the Second World War, isn't it, really, if you think about it. I mean, consumer behaviour does change, but it changes very slowly. I don't think we've ever seen a pace of change as we had in the in the pandemic. So it, it's really just massively increased the importance of moving more quickly and taking, you know, I, you could call them bold decisions, if you like, but taking bold decisions. I mean, we decided early on, you know, I said to our leadership team, you know, what we do and how we behave over the next, we didn't know how long it would be. We said sort of three months will determine how we come out. Um, and actually, it's like you throw the balls in the air and we'll see how they land. And, you know, I think that we we brought businesses together. Um, you know, we brought AKQA and Grey together. We sort of further sort of streamlined and simplified and, and restructured WPP. And I think that's what clients need to do. You know, they really need to commit to this digital transformation because after all you know it's both a fantastic opportunity that's an opportunity to build direct relationships with your consumers to talk to them on a one-to-one basis to sell online to use earned media you know to get massive coverage look at all the brands that have built themselves you know like tesla with little paid media so there's massive opportunities in this digital transformation but you know it's disruptive and it's particularly disruptive to big you know, legacy companies built on sort of, if you call it legacy relationships or structures, you know, those businesses that relied on mass media, you know, the packaged goods companies, mass retail, mass production, 
all of those things, all of those advantages were to some extent limited in the pandemic. Now, interestingly, the big FSMG companies with big brands did better. So it, it sort of, although it accelerated some of those trends, it has benefited some of them. And I think that there was a sort of return by consumers to sort of traditional brands, to, to, to things that they sort of knew of. And part of that is they weren't eating out, they were eating at home. That clearly helped retailers and packaged goods companies. But I think part of it was that people were looking for things that they were more familiar with in a pandemic. And and sort of going ahead, looking ahead for some of these companies, it seems like one of the biggest challenges is inflation and how you decide how much of it to pass on, how much to spend in marketing and investing in your brands. What's what are your impressions of that and how com- how well companies are dealing with the massive inflation? Well, clearly, you know, it, it, it is a challenge for all of our clients and you know, inflation on top of supply chain shortages. Not it's not a great is not a great combination. Um, and so people are looking to put prices on. I was interested to see the government bank of England telling telling um, employees they shouldn't ask for pay increase, which I think is uh, good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah. But look, you know, if you want to put your prices up, you've got to have a strong brand. And so I, I do think that clients are recognising the value of premiumization, you know, of things like package size. So they're you know continue to invest in strong brands, continue to innovate, continue to think about the, the composition of their product. And I think you've seen it in, in some of the results recently, you know, the, think the, the revenue growth has been strong, a lot of it driven by pricing, but there's clearly pressures, you know, on margins, you know, across, across the board. But I think to justify the price increases, they are going to have to have stronger brands and that's something they're going to need to, you know, work with their marketing partners on. And, you know, tied to this e-commerce question, more and more, you know, companies are selling through Amazon or Alibaba, uh, at an increased rate, what are the implications for them? Because they're obviously these, you know, massive dominant players, where it's that are very different to dealing with, you know, five supermarkets. Yeah, look, I think, you know, there's a, there's a danger that they become, you know, the new gatekeepers, isn't it? But there's also an opportunity, I'd say, for packaged goods companies, an opportunity to innovate, to try out new, to, to try out new products. You know, Amazon's great advantage, I'd say, is Amazon Prime. You know, that sort of notion that, you know. I, I sort of feel it, you know, in my street in London, there's almost an Amazon delivery man continuously dropping parcels off. I mean, that's a sort of competitive advantage for anyone trying to build a, a similar sort of logistic system. So their logistic system is a massive sort of competitive advantage. You know, our advice to packaged goods companies is to innovate, to try and build their own channels direct to consumers where they can. And that's not going to be true of every category and every product. And then to work with with the traditional retailers and help them be help them be more successful as well. And there's a lot of innovation, you know, in in grocery at the moment. I mean, look at these you know, instant delivery services. And we'll see sort of post shakeout how many of them really do survive. But there's more and more routes to meet the the consumer, and I just think clients have to innovate and lean in, try try new stuff. Try new stuff, yeah. I mean, I also wonder what implications it has for the big consumer goods giants who have these you know different sections and you know there's a continuous recurring debate about whether they should break up or not do you think there's a greater case for these sort of sprawling businesses that do quite different things but say all to do with the consumer or is or do you see breakups making more sense i don't know to be driven by that you know I, i think that there are categories in consumer packaged goods, you know, 
pet care, coffee to some extent with Nespresso, but a very uh, e-commerce driven and, and those companies can learn from that and build relationships with that. There are, there are categories that are more transactional and I would argue that good marketing is a core competence of those businesses. So understanding creativity, how to build brands, how to nurture brands, how to deal with retailers, how to understand consumers and innovate. You know, it, it, it's not easy. I mean, a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands that were hailed four or five years ago have not been the successes you know, that, that, that they were expected to be. So I think that the pendulum has some extent swung back to them. At the same time, it is a competitive market. And I think that companies with brands that get stuck in the middle are in the hardest place, isn't it? You know, I think a, a L'Oreal, that's kind of the premium company in every sector, is in is in a good place. But you, you've got to be either, you know, premium or good value, that sort of middle category. Like in every category, I think is 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 the one that's under pressure. You know, consumers are either looking for to save money or to treat themselves. That sort of mid mid value is not a great segment to be. I'd say, frankly, in any market. Right. Well, what I meant with the um, e-commerce and you know how it relates to breakup is that one chief executive told me that Amazon bolsters the case for not breaking up because if these companies will break up, then their their bargaining power with a behemoth like Amazon would be further diminished. I don't really know. Actually, looking at you know the market cap, maybe it's sort of naive to even consider that you would have any purchasing power. Um, except for maybe if you're L'Oreal, but but is there is there anything in that? Look, I wouldn't, if I were running a packaged goods company, I wouldn't want to put my future in Amazon's hands. I mean, they have, yeah. you know, all of the data around what brands succeed and why they succeed and what consumers are looking for. And they have a very successful, you know, own brand program and work with other partners to help them. So I, I, I think that it's about building their own relationships. Now, the challenge for most packaged goods companies is that people don't order like a box that comes from one company, do they? You can't like, no one has, there's no packaged goods company that, that owns every product that a consumer would want. That's that's what a re, that's that's the role of a retailer, if you like. So I I, I think it was, it's, it's going to be um, an, an accommodation, if you like. But I'd argue their core competencies, consumer understanding, global retail distribution by the way amazon isn't isn't dominant everywhere you know there are big markets you know india indonesia latin america where there there are other options and in really interesting you know trade routes you know many smaller consumers where actually b2b e-commerce is quite an interesting opportunity i see uh and from one dominant player to another yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about the dominance of Facebook and what the, the metaverse, meta. what is, yeah, meta mm. and the metaverse and what, you know, what does it all mean for consumers and for companies trying to cater to them? Well, look, I mean, it's clear that meta has had a, you know, a challenging few months and to some extent few years. You know, I think, you know, I've said, you know, there are, there are questions around, you know, how, how whether the platforms are safe places for consumers and brands, and I think they have their challenges. I think they've admitted, you know, they've admitted that that um, in public as well. So I think they need to do more to 
you know, make their platform safe for consumers and safe places for our clients to advertise. And, you know, I think they, they're, they're, they're committed to trying to do that. But, you know, you saw in their results, you know, a tiny change in trend from plus to minus has a massive impact on sentiment, right? Absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't know if you're sort of following the regulatory stuff as well. Do you feel like this kind of change in the air? Because I know that the in the UK, the acquisition of Giphy has been blocked, kind of feels like from that side, sentiment's changing too. I don't know. I, I saw a conspiracy theory that the drop in the share price was engineered to take regulatory scrutiny away from them. I don't know. But that oh, will, well, it goes that, in all different directions, doesn't it? That will be that will be the case. Um, look, I, I think the rebranding has certainly put the metaverse in, into the zeitgeist, if you like. I, I, I thought that the film they launched it with was slightly too Second Life-like to... Um, to, to really capture the nuances of the metaverse. Because the, you know, the first question we have with our clients is, well, what on earth is the metaverse? And there are lots of discussions. No one quite agrees with it. No one quite agrees what the definition is, but it, it's pretty clear it goes a long way beyond kind of VR and AR. I think it's this concept that you live your life primarily online. And if I look at my nine-year-old son, he seems to be quite capable of living his life primarily online, if you like. So it's Fortnite, it's Roblox, it's, you know, those sorts of immersive worlds. It's also AR and VR, but it's also goods that seem to, you know, like NFTs that exist primarily digitally. And, and actually, we're doing increasing amounts of work with our clients, helping them build brands in the metaverse. We did a fantastic, well, actually, a series of fantastic campaigns for Wendy's inside Fortnite, where we got the Wendy's character, you know, the woman, Wendy, I guess, to, you know, run through Fortnite, destroying, destroying, destroying freezers, made by 30 million people every day, uh, wow. at least. And um, it's, um, you know, for, 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 for way too long. And um, we've, we've really helped them connect with that younger consumers through that. We did a great campaign for Under Armour using NFTs around um, Steph Curry. We, we sold this NFT of a sneaker now sells for $70,000. Million, but what's, so, I mean, what are those campaigns in terms of return on investment? How do they compare to kind of previous generations? Well, look, Can we did a campaign for Under Armour. You know, it, it, we didn't spend any money on paid media, right? So it's just the cost of doing it. We sold out 2,974 shoes because that's how many points Steph Curry had, had scored in the NBA. 4.1 million people tried to buy them and we raised a million pounds for charity and we reached 13 million people. So uh, you could say with no paid media to reach 13 million people, quite a good return on investment. So I think, you know, you can look at the, you know, the great thing about these digital media is they're, they're measurable. Now, linking that through to purchase is obviously more challenging, but I think you are engaging with another audience and you are, you know, it, it, you, you, clients can see the ROI. And is that a game changer or is it a wave, a fad? Well, it, it's not a fad, but nor is it, a game changer. I just think it's the continued evolution of technology into every aspect of our daily life, right, that we're all going to have to learn to to adapt to uh, and live with. Yeah, I mean, do you see amongst my generation, I feel like there's also a backlash where people are like, enough, 
I'm gonna get gonna get a non a less smartphone. I'm gonna stop browsing all day. I'm gonna have real interactions. Buy a plant and sort of <laughs> do yoga and drink drip coffee. Uh, there's that whole thing. I don't know. I mean, all of the evidence, the the statistical evidence is going the other way, isn't it? Look, I I think having lived through two years of the pandemic. You know, there are only so many hours of your life you can spend watching Netflix documentaries or Netflix series, right? I mean, we lived through that sort of two years of uh, Tiger King, Money Heist, Ozark, if you remember, <laughs> all this sort of compulsive viewing. I hope when things get a little bit back more to normal, we will be going out more and, and seeing people. Yeah, me too. I just wanted to jump back to, you know, you mentioned purpose earlier and that that's been a trend that the um, pandemic's accelerated. I wanted to ask you why that is and also what purpose really means, because, you know, if you're a cynic, you're not really going to buy this idea that these brands are all about, you know, helping the planet because obviously less consumption is better. Uh, and, you know, similarly, it seems a bit harsh to say that it's just kind of totally just marketing. So what does purpose actually mean in your business? I think purpose is understanding, you know, the role of a business in society and and why we exist. And and to be simplistic, if you if you answered the sort of Milton Friedman when I studied economics at university, the purpose of business is to maximize its profits. And that's a perfectly, I guess, acceptable view of the purpose of a business. It's not very motivating to the people inside the company. Not very motivating to, frankly, the leadership of a company today, and and nor is it particularly motivating to consumers. And I think businesses understand, like they did in the 19th century with the Cadburys and the Roundtrees and the Quakers, that business has a broader role in society than just maximising profit. And so I think that purpose is really just trying to encapsulate that 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 notion that if all you focus on is is the bottom line you may end up by shooting yourself in the foot. And there they shouldn't be a conflict between purpose and profit. Certainly at WPP, there's no conflict between what we're trying to do from a purpose perspective and us growing our business as quickly as we can. You know, we set out a purpose for WPP. We said to use the power of creativity, because I think creativity is what makes us special, to build a better future for our people, planet, clients, and communities. And you know, each of those things goes through everything we do as a company. You know, people talk to, you know, the diversity of the people that we employ. You know, we've gone from 38% to 43% in the Hampton Alexander study for gender diversity, so good progress. But it talks to planet, so our own commitments around net zero or eradicating single-use plastic. It talks to clients, the types of clients we work with, the work we do for clients. And then communities, all the good work that many of our people do, everything from the World Health you know, Organization to, to local charities. And that's not a department of WPP called the Purpose Department. It's really a consideration of when we hire someone, is diversity built into that? When we create a piece of work for a client, is the creative team diverse? Is the casting diverse? Do we talk to people? And so I think it's about our responsibility. Look, we're, we are responsible in some way for one in four, one in five of the world's commercial messages. And I think with that power comes some responsibility to think about what you're doing. So it's not, we're not trying to be holier than thou or lecture people, but we are trying to say, let's consider the impact of what we do on society. 
But do you accept the sort of Terry Smith argument, you know, in the context of Unilever that focusing on, you know, the, what the purpose is for mayonnaise, it's a bit silly, you know, the purpose of mayonnaise is to provide a condiment, have something to put on your chips. It's a very um, good, very, a very topical question, Dasha, particularly at the moment. Um, so we were, in, in all transparency, Unilever is our client, uh, as is Hellman's mayonnaise. And we have a very good commercial running in, in the Super Bowl around Hellman's mayonnaise. Point out Hellman's is, mayonnaise is a $1.2 billion market in the US and Hellman's grew 11%. And so our commercial features um, a linebacker called Ed Mayo and Pete Davidson talking about um, not wasting food. So you can see it online or you can see it in the Super Bowl. So look, I think that it, it's a, it, it, it may be a sort of jokey answer, but it's a serious answer to the question, which is I think that actually Hellman's can successfully, you know, conceptually position itself in, in favour of not wasting food. And, you know, the people that took part in that commercial, I, I'm sure part of the motivation was to be associated with that. I mean, Pete Davidson's the hottest property in America, you know, at the moment. And um, he's talking about Hellman. So I, we'll have to get Terry Smith to watch it and give us his view. <laughs> that, that's a great idea. Really interesting stuff. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing that in the discussion afterwards great thanks so much thanks very much for tuning in this podcast was produced by oliver taslich in london subscribe to the exchange and our sister podcast the views room on acast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts check us out every day at breakingviews.com and on twitter where our handle is at breakingviews This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.